0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of Valley Church. I pray that this message will fill you with the hope of the gospel and will help you follow Jesus today. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, visit valleychurchwv.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. Hey, we are um, continuing um, with Summer in the Psalms today, and uh, this is a a message series that we also have a reading plan with. So um, if you have a reading plan, um, I encourage you to follow along with it. Uh, The Psalms are broken up into five separate books, and that's the way the reading plan has been organized, actually, is that we're reading one book of the Psalms each week week. And so follow along with that. If you didn't get a reading plan, there's some out on the Connection Center, and um, Martha would be, be glad to get you one as, as you're on your way out the doors. But um, but we're excited to um, just keep on reading the Psalms together. Next week, our own Doug Dilliman Is going to be preaching, and uh, I am so excited for you. We are going to be watching online um, because we won't be here. But man, it's it's going to be a good one. So so get get geared up for that. Um, But today we are in Psalm chapter fifty-one. Psalm chapter fifty-one. You'll see that there are um, some sermon notes along with this message today. And so if you have your Bibles, you can um, you can actually we're going to be going to the book of uh, Second Samuel. 11 because it's basically the story behind this psalm that we're going to be looking at. But um, the way I wanted to start this morning was just by connecting with you on something that, that I found to be really helpful in understanding life and uh, just understanding how to, how to follow Jesus. And it actually came from, from the, the um, scientist Albert Einstein, okay? Um, it, was, it was a quote that he, he is famous for. He said this, that insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a... Yeah, you guys know it, right? Man, isn't that helpful? Some, sometimes I'm like, man, I'm insane. I am, I am actually scientifically insane because I do things over and over and over again and expect a different result. I'm sure you're there with me. Um, let me ask you, what in your life have you repeated over and over and over again and expected a different result? Because I believe that we are all creatures of habit. Um, sometimes our habits are healthy, but more oftentimes our habits are very unhealthy. Um, before we know it, we can get caught in that vicious cycle of repeated behaviors over and over and over again. We tell ourselves things like, it's just, it's just one more swig. It's just one more pill. Maybe if that's an addiction for you, because these these things are are going hand in hand. Um, Maybe it's um, just one more drag on whatever substance you're smoking. One more look on the internet. That's been that's been a struggle for me. Can I tell you? One more look. It's just a few more dollars. It's just a little bit more debt. Um, maybe it's just another evening at the bar. Or a night at the casino. I don't know what it is for you. And maybe I didn't name your, your crazy. But uh, before we know it, we're caught in that vicious cycle of repeated behaviors. The vicious cycle of sin. It was the book of James, actually. James chapter 1. That uh, he, he, he explains the cycle of sin. And I've, I've, I've got a little illustration for us as, as he explains it. Since this is somewhere in the Psalms, I brought with me what I call the crazy cycle, okay? <laughs> it was James, and I'm going to just read a little bit from what he says. James said this, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So, Temptation. Lured and enticed by his own desire. Then when temptation has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. And I've just put over here guilt. But what we know is that our guilt, guilt for our sin, we are all guilty before God. And God says that the wages of sin is death. Okay, And so, so here you see our dilemma, the crazy cycle, here from the Word of God. And here for us to look at through this whole message, because I have a character in Scripture that I believe that we can learn from this morning. It's very, so, it's very, very defeating to look at this because we can see ourselves in this constantly, right? But the reality is that uh, Jesus has provided for us a way of escape from the crazy. He has. And that's what I, I want to talk to you about and ask, ask ourselves, how do we break this Cycle. Well, the person that we're going to is, is probably no a stranger to many of us, and his name is David. And David was the writer of, of probably at least one-third, if not, if not uh, two-thirds of, of the Psalms. I've never looked to see how many were his. But David is a man who is named as, as a man after God's own heart. But he himself found himself in this crazy cycle over and over and over again, didn't he? And so we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that explains one of the psalms that we're going to look at. our psalm is Psalm chapter 51. But what are the psalms? They're songs, aren't they? They're poems. And just like any good song has a story, this psalm right here has a story. And so we're going to look at the story, the song story, behind Psalm chapter 51. So if you have your Bible, why why don't you go over to 2 Samuel chapter 11. Verses um, one through seventeen, and from this song, from, from this story, we are we are going to learn this principle. And I, I don't know if you have this in your in your notes or not, but it's uh, it's it's this principle here: is that concealing sin promises repetition, but confessing sin promises restoration. Do you have that back there or not? No. Okay, that's all right. Concealing sin promises repetition, but confessing sin promises restoration. So 2 Samuel 11 verses 1 through 17, start in verse 1 with me, and uh, let's, let's just read this passage, and again, this is Psalm, the, the song story behind Psalm chapter 51. It says this, in the spring of the year, in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David Sent Joab. You can uh, go ahead and move forward on the slides, there, Zoe. Yes, there we go. That's that's where we're at. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him, and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. It happened one late afternoon when David arose from his couch. And he was walking on his roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof roof, a woman bathing. And this woman was very beautiful. Let's just stop there for a second. Now, what we know about David is that this is the same David who we know defeated Goliath. This is the same David who was anointed to be the next king over Israel. It was the same David who was, who was close friends with, with Jonathan, who Saul pursued for, for years and years because he didn't want him to become the next king. Okay, this is, this is that David, a, a man that God's hand was upon. He, he was a man that God had promised some things to. And here we see David is now king. But yet he's not fulfilling his kingly responsibilities. He has stayed home while his whole army has gone out to fight. And it says it was a springtime and, and it was a time of, time of year when kings would go out to battle. I guess they would just go out and they would fight. They would try to gain more land, gain more animals, gain whatever they were trying to do, show off their, their military strength. I guess that's what they did because they didn't have computers back then, okay? They just had to... They had to show their manliness. I don't know. But David was not being a man, okay? He was sitting at home. He was isolated. He was was there safe and secure. He did not go out. He was not being their commander-in-chief. Instead, he's waking up from a nap and taking a stroll on his palace roof. And what does he see? He sees a woman on the adjacent roof taking a bath. Now, that sounds kind of weird. Like, what in the world is someone doing on the roof taking a bath? Well, keep in mind this. There are no hot water heaters back then, are there? And so what would you do? I mean, you don't want to take a cold bath. Nobody likes a cold bath. So what they would do is they would fill up their tubs on top of the roof so that the sun could warm up the water and so you could get a nice warm bath. But unfortunately, then you also have an audience, okay? It's like, it's like that neighbor who's got that hot tub and no, nothing around it, right? Okay, That's what was going on, okay? And David sees her and she notices that this woman is very... Beautiful, okay? And so we, we notice the first of, of this crazy cycle, the cycle of sin is that temptation comes. He's tempted to, to look, and instead of saying, no, I shouldn't look, that's not my wife, that's someone else's wife, um, that's not what God would want me to do, he looks. And he, he more than looks, he, he, he moves to desire, he lusts. That's what he does. He desires her. She notices that this woman is beautiful. Verse 3, keep on reading. It says, And David sent and inquired about this woman. And one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Now, I'm sure you recognize that name. Okay? Because she's become known for this now. But think about that response. She said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Notice that word, the daughter. You notice at any time that you are tempted to lust after someone that is not your wife, that she is definitely someone's daughter. That's not a motivation to reconsider that look, that closer look, that should be it, because this may be someone's daughter. It Maybe for you women, this is someone's son, okay? Think about who you're looking at, okay? Because this is sin, okay? She, he also goes on to say this, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So not only is she someone's daughter, she's someone's wife. Or For you women, this might be someone's husband, that, that person that you are attracted to looking at and lusting over. And so David is dealing with this lust, and now the honorable man would have said, okay, well, obviously, she's someone's daughter, she's someone's wife, she's off-limits, she's got a ring on that finger, not going there. But no, David could have stopped. You know, the Scripture says that when we are tempted, that God will provide a way of escape, right? What was David's way of escape? To just stop, cut it off, stop looking. Stop asking questions, but instead, no, he continues. He doesn't take the way of escape, and he goes, and he invites her over. It says in verse 4, So David sent messengers and, and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanliness, and she returned to her house. David invites Bathsheba over for what we would call casual sex, a one-night stand, a booty call, or whatever you call it these days, I don't know, a hit and run. <laughs> I mean, we could keep on going, okay? Did I go too far? <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is God's Word. But man, I guess I, I, guess I just connected. All right. If we're calling it what God calls it, here's what God would call it. God would call it adultery. That's what God calls it. Okay? We use, these, we use these little flaky words to just make fun of things like this. But, man, this is serious, and this is sin. Our sin deserves God's judgment. And that's what David did. It says, says in verse 5 that the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant you're the father, okay? And so remember our, our principle that we started off. Concealing sin promises repetition. That's what this is, right? Concealing sin promises repetition. David attempts to conceal his sin. We're going to see how he does this. Because he has a reputation to, to keep in mind. He, he, he wants to cover up. He, he doesn't want the shame. And so he devises an immediate action plan. I'll just summarize verses 6 through 8. Basically, he goes and calls Uriah and says, Uriah, and Uriah is on the battlefield. He's one of David's soldiers. He says, Uriah, I want you to to come back home. Spend some time with your wife, hoping that he would go in, and obviously when a husband would come home, what would he do? He'd obviously sleep with his wife. He's hoping that Uriah could make the claim that this child is his. This was this was long before the time of paternity tests. This, this is what David was trying to do. The problem is, as we read on in verse 9, that when Uriah came home, he slept at the door, not of Bathsheba's house, but of the king's house. He was that loyal. And when asked, why, why are you sleeping outside? Why don't you go in? Why don't you go and spend a night with your wife? He says, how can I do that? Because my fellow soldiers and your servants and the Ark of the Covenant is, is, is out there living in tents. Everybody's out fighting the war. And we're here. We're comfortable. And we're, we're safe. How can I go in and sleep with my wife and enjoy myself? I can't do that. Well, David Actually, in verse 13, just summarizing what happens, actually it says that David invited him in and, and, and they drank together. And he got him drunk. And, and hoping that he would just like, you know, be plastered drunk so that he would just like kind of loosen up, go in, go home and sleep with Bathsheba. Does it work? No. No, it doesn't. So plan A flops. Plan, plan B, though, is much more sinister. David goes on to take matters into his own hands. It says in verse 14, I'll just, just summarize this a little bit, that in that morning, David wrote a letter to his general. Um, his name was, uh, in verse 14, uh, Joab. And General Joab, he, he says, I want you to take your eye. Your eye is coming back. I'm going to give him le- this letter. You're to you give it to, to General Joab. And, and the letter read, basically... That you are to take Uriah and you are to put him on the front line where the fighting is the worst, and then at the point the battle gets gets to be really bad, then your front line is to withdraw and leave Uriah there alone. What was he asking them to do? Kill him. Basically let him get killed. And basically, what David was saying is murder him. Pretty sinister plan. And so plan B works. Plan B tragically works. Uriah is killed. David then quickly takes Bathsheba to be his wife, and um, she has this child. Well, we see that, um, what has David's sin led to? Lust led to adultery. Adultery led to deceit. Deceit led to a cover-up. A cover-up led to murder. Do you think that David intended any of that? With that first temptation on that roof? With that first little lust, lustful look at Bathsheba? No, no. But it reminds me of the quote, and, and if you've never heard this, man, write it down. It's, it's, it's this Sin will take you further than you want to go, cost you more than you want to pay, and keep you longer than you want to stay. Let me read that again Sin will take you further than you want to go cost you more than you want to pay, and keep you longer than you want to stay. Man, if we're being honest, I'm sure at one level or another, each of us has experienced that. And we're wondering why we still are stuck in this cycle of sin. Because let's be honest, there's probably, for every single one of us, something that's going on right here that we keep on doing it over and over and over again. And and we tell ourselves these lies. We tell ourselves, I've got three of them. I can manage my sin better if I hide it. You know what the reality is? It's that God already knows that sin hidden will grow quickly. Second thing that we tell ourselves, and it's a lie, is, is if I can conceal my sin, I can limit the extent of the damage. What the reality is is that hidden sin always has a greater effect than we can imagine. That's the reality. Third thing that we tell us is that no one has to know. No one has to know. It just affects me. The reality is God already knows. And when we hide it, it takes us deeper and deeper and deeper into it. Concealing sin promises repetition. And so let me ask you do we have to stay stuck in this cycle? Do we have to stay stuck? Well, I started off saying, no, we don't. And the answer is Jesus Christ. And the answer is always Jesus Christ. And so let me tell you about the way out. Let me tell you about the way that we can be redeemed from our sin. And it comes as we enter into the next part of the story. Keep reading with me. 2 Samuel 12. I'm going to move over to chapter 12. And we're going to start in verse 1. Okay? 2 Samuel 12, verses 1 through 7, this is a longer portion, but it's a story that, um, that a prophet comes to David and tells him. He says this, he says, And the Lord said to Nathan, sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, and one was rich and the other was poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had Nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he bought. He brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat his, his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. So there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it. For the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he has done this thing, and because he had no pity. As you can see, if you are following this story, Nathan is telling this story not about a man that had a little lamb and a traveler came along and wanted it for himself who had plenty of things. No, he was telling the story about David and Bathsheba. He was saying, you, you are that man. Look at verse 7. Nathan explains it. Nathan says to David, you are that man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel, of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. See, what Nathan does is he exposes David's sin into the light. He makes David personally accountable for his sin. He says, you are that man. And so probably the most important step, if we're going to learn from this passage, is that, is that in order to break the cycle of sin, we need to follow the first step. The, the action step is that we need to expose sin into the light. That's the first step. If you want to break out of this crazy sin cycle, you need to expose sin into the light and if you're taking notes that's that's what it is you know what our natural tendency is though our natural tendency is to cover up if you think about adam and eve what did they do when they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil what did they do they covered themselves they hid from god right and is it any different today just think about some of the things that you are hiding right now i guarantee you those things that you are hiding are the things that you are the most ashamed about. And there's a, those are the things that you need to go and expose them to the light. Come clean. Come clean about them. See, can I just be honest with you? I've done this multiple times. And probably the, the thing that I've been, been the most honest with you about is, is, a, is a struggle with, uh, with pornography. And this, uh, this is a, a temptation that has come back to me over, over and over again. And I can identify that, that cycle of when there's temptation, then it forms desire, and then I take action, and there's guilt. And then it wears off. And then I do it again and again and again and again, okay? Uh, I don't know if that's for you or not, but most, most of you men and, and a lot of you women, you struggle, struggle with pornography because it's out there, okay? And what it took for me to find healing... And restoration from that was to expose my sin into the light. Um, I don't know if I've talked about this before, but we actually uh, went to see a counselor when we were in Michigan. And um, one of his first questions is, um, what am I going to (laughs) find? That's a scary question. (laughs) I was like, oh, man. And at first I lied. I said, oh. you're not going to find anything. But then my second meeting, is it, it had been eating, eating, eating away at me. I, I was like, I, I need to expose this. I need to come into the light. I'd been lying to Precious. I'd been lying to um, other people about how it had been doing. And, and I, I let him know, and he said, well, you have to tell Precious. You have to expose this into the light. You need to bring it into the light. In or- if you're going to find healing, it needs to be exposed. And so, so I had that hard conversation. And what, what we did is we actually set up some barriers so that I couldn't access that kind of stuff anymore. But there's a whole other level of healing that, that also came to Precious. And I'm not going to read this for you, but basically our counselor asked, asked Precious to write a little angry, angry message. And you don't want to hear it, okay? <laughs> but can I just, just read the first line? Because let me just tell you, our sin, affects, our sin affects each other. It does. You may be dealing with this in your marriage. I don't know. But, but this, I, I, I mean this to be helpful, okay? She wrote this. I'm angry inside. And I'm hurting. I'm angry because you've been lying to me. You've broken my trust. And I feel like I've been living a lie all of a sudden. I'm angry, I'm angry because you robbed me and withheld the opportunity for me to wage war with you. I thought we were partners. If I would have known, my prayers to God on your behalf could have been more specific. I'm angry because parts of this home have been defiled by this sin. I could I keep going, but I'm not. An angry letter. Maybe you you need to do that with each other. I don't know. This is meant to be helpful. But we need to get angry about our sin. We need to expose it into the light. And part of me just telling you this story is because it's just another aspect of me exposing my sin into the light. Because I know I'm not alone. And because I know in the eyes of Christ, he doesn't see me as that. He doesn't see me as my addiction. He doesn't see me as my sin. He sees me as his righteousness, okay? But here's the thing you're going to deal with when, when you expose your sin into the light is sin does not like to be exposed. Sin does not like to be exposed. You're going to battle this. It's going to be the hardest battle you're, you're going to ever fight. See, see I've learned that sin, I want to add addiction, operates at its highest efficiency When it operates in isolation and secrecy. You know what happens in the dark? Secrets. Isolation. Being alone. And so the most important and the most difficult step that you are ever gonna take is this: it's to expose your sin into the light, to confess your sin. Jesus said this. He said this um, in John chapter 3:19. He said, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Okay, Jesus knows this. He knows you and I. He knows our fear. But he says in verse 21, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. See, Jesus not only brings light, he is the light. Jesus is the light. And Jesus said this in John eight twelve I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If you're living in darkness right now, come into the light. Bring your sin into the light. Do you want to have life come into the light? I brought something with me. And it's the brightest light that I own. <laughs> if you're living in darkness, this is what you need to do. No? It doesn't work. All right, you get the point though, right? <laughs> I don't know why. All right, well... We'll have to work on that one. <laughs> I got another light, though. I came prepared, right? We all got this one. Maybe this is a better illustration. Come into the light. Shine the light on your sin. Maybe talk to your spouse about it, talk to a counselor about it. Um, whatever you need to do, bring your sin into the light. That's what I believe that God would want you to do. Confess your sins to one another, Scripture says. Maybe it's another brother or sister in the church. Maybe it's myself as your pastor. Um, Maybe it's one of our elders. Bring your sin into the light. Okay? Bring your sin into the light. Expose it to the truth. You cannot, and I repeat, you cannot break the cycle of sin if you don't take this first step. Expose your sin into the light. Okay? Here's the second one. And this is, um, this is really important as well. Um, as we read on in 2 Samuel 12, verse 9, uh, it, it goes on to say this. Nathan, he says this, why have, you, why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? Why have you despised the word of the Lord? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. See, what's, what does David do? Well, Nathan comes to him and, 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 and is speaking for God. God doesn't, doesn't hold back any punches. He says, David, you are a murderer. David, you are an adulterer. And, and David, you, someone that is writing Scripture, writing the Psalms, You despise my word. Those are pretty horrendous accusations. But they're true. In case you didn't know it, God takes sin very seriously. Because the wages of sin is death. And so often I I believe that we do this as well. We like to blunt the blow. We like to velvet coat. Or just flat out ignore blatant sin. And I, I believe it comes through our words often. Um. We often use the word affair when the real word is adultery. We use the word hooking up when the word is what? Fornication, right? That would be God's word. We, we say, oh, they, they've had a few too many drinks when the actual word is drunkenness. Yeah, which God warns against as, as a sin. We, we use the word of, um, we say they're stretching the truth when the actual word is lie. Okay, you're catching on. We, we say it's borrowing when the reality is we, we'd never intend to give it back, and that is stealing. Okay, we could go on and on, but you get it. We like to velvet coat what God calls sin. We like to make ourselves think that we're okay When the reality is, the gospel says, you are not. You are not okay. And you need Jesus. See, what sin does is it it separates us from God. And the penalty for sin is actually death. Death and separation eternally from God. Eternal death. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. You're going to find a list of sins. It says this, Now the works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, 21, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those are serious words. And we could, we, could, uh, we could go on and on trying to, to build a list of things that we we're trying to keep, things that we're trying to do. I mean, and, and you obviously can see from this, uh, you and I are a failure, okay? Just this week, you've probably you've probably been like, oh, yeah, um, I, I've been involved in, in uh, jealousy. I've had a fit of anger. Um, maybe it was uh, sexual immorality or some kind of impurity. I mean, whatever you had, man, you're just like, man, I'm guilty, I'm guilty, and therefore I can't inherit the kingdom of God. Is that where we leave it? No, actually, we don't. Let me explain to you the gospel. There's another scripture, as it goes on in that book, just a, just a, few, um, verse, a few verses before it said this. It says, for, keep on going, Zoe. For all who rely on the works of the law, and that's what we just read about, are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by these things written in the book of the law and do them. You know, while while that statement may seem self-defeating, that's actually kind of the whole point. Is that when we rely on our own works, we realize that we can't make it. And that's why it said a couple verses later in verse 13, that Christ has redeemed us. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And so when we call sin, sin, not only are we self-condemning ourselves, but we're also recognizing that Jesus himself was condemned for our sin. And the whole point of the cross is what did he do? He took our judgment for us. And so when you call yourself a sinner, That only should relate to then your belief that Jesus then took your sin, He saved you. That that you know that on your own you cannot inherit eternal life, that you've trusted in Him as your Savior. Some of you, some of you maybe are still on the fence with this, but man, trusting in Him is going to give you hope. It's going to give you peace. It's going to have you help you break the cycle of sin. Call sin, sin. Expose it to the light. Action step number three, and this is the last one here this morning. Action step number three is this. It's to confess and repent. How do we break out of the cycle of sin? To, to confess and repent. Confess means that you actually agree with God about your sin. And that brings us actually to Psalm chapter 51. Because as Nathan has confronted David, David has a choice to make. Is he going to blow Nathan off and say, who cares about you? Who cares about God's word? Or will he come to a place of confession and repentance? Let's see. Psalm chapter 51. (laughs) Turn over there with me. And I encourage you if you have your your Bible, just read read this with me. Um, Psalm 51. What does he say this? He says, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. What beautiful words. And that's not the whole psalm. But he goes on and on and on to confess his sin before a holy God. When David sees the consequences of his actions, he turns and repents before God. He exposes his sin to the light. He calls sin, sin. He confesses it to God so that he might be restored. Now, how did Nathan respond? Let me just quick tell you. 2 Samuel 12, 13. It says, Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. The Lord has taken away your sin. You want to know why David was called a man after God's own heart? It wasn't because he was perfect. It was because he was repentant. It wasn't because he was perfect. It was repentant. And you can be that too. You can be a man or a woman that is after God's own heart. Not because you can be perfect. Not because you can keep a whole list of the Ten Commandments or all the rules in Scripture. Now, if you're trying to do that, that's a, that's a road that, that is uh, leading to your own destruction. No, you need to trust in Christ and repent of your sins and follow Him. Don't try to be perfect. Be repentant. Confess your sin. Concealing sin promises repetition. Confessing sin promises restoration. And that's how it works. That's what God wants for you. And the reality is this. Jesus sent his, God sent His own Son, Jesus, to be the Savior of the world, to be our light, in our darkness of sin. And just like David did, Scripture also calls us to confess our sin. And when we do, he promises restoration. Let me just read two Scriptures. And so you'll just have to skip, skip right to the end. It says this, in 1 John 1 verse 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a hope we have in that. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart that one believes and is justified, and with the mouth that one confesses and is saved. He promises to all that whoever calls on his name will be saved. And so let's take his word seriously. Let's... Let's break out of the crazy cycle by trusting in Christ. Let's do that. Let's confess our sins to each other. Let's call sin, sin. Let's get honest. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you, God, that we have life and hope and peace because of you, Jesus. So, Father, right now, in this holy moment between you and and our church, each one gathered here right now. God, I pray that you would just uh, just do a work deep in their heart right now. God, that as we spend a couple moments in silence confessing our sin, God, that uh, we'd just be able to reach out to you and, like David, confess and repent. Thank you, Lord, that you are the God that forgives, that you promise that if we confess our sins, you're faithful, you're just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you, Jesus, for your work, for your righteousness, for the peace that you offer as we put our faith in you. Thank you, God, for the example of David. Thank you, God, that we can go from this place rejoicing that you are the God that can heal and restore, God, that we don't have to live in our shame anymore, that we don't have to hide anymore, God, that we can come into the light, that you are the light. God, help us to offer this light and this hope to our valley, God, that we might have your peace. I pray this in your precious name, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Valley Church. If you are impacted by today's teaching or made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to hear from you, pray for you, and walk with you. To connect with us, visit valleychurchwv.com. There you will find resources on following Jesus and information about how to partner with us here at Valley Church as we seek, serve, and send disciples of Christ.